Well, good morning, church. Praise God. It's Easter. It's Easter Sunday morning. What a great day to come and to worship and to celebrate our risen Savior. I love Easter. Now, just think about this. Two days ago, it was Friday. And 2,000 years ago on Friday, it seemed like all hope was lost, right? Jesus was hanging on the cross. It seemed like game over. He had come into Jerusalem and as a celebrity and people cheered him. The crowds adored him. People chanted for this carpenter turned miracle worker turned Messiah. He had raised the dead to life. He had healed the blame, the blind and the lame. He had given sight. But now he hung on a cross on Friday. And on Saturday he was in the tomb. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because today is Easter Sunday morning, and Jesus is alive. He is alive. And we have come to worship, and we have come to celebrate a risen Savior. And that's what Easter is about. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. You see, I love, I love, I love, because here's what Jesus said. He told them exactly what was going to happen. He said, guys, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed by the leaders there. I will be put in the ground, but after three days, I will rise again. And he did it, right? He said he was going to do it, and he did it. Have you thought about this? Every time we say a date, we're referring to what God has done for us. Every time we say 2014, we're referring to what Jesus did for us. You see, Jesus split history in two. B.C. and A.D., before Christ, and in the year of our Lord, 2014 years ago, we celebrated his birth. And the reason we celebrate his birth is because what happened on Easter Sunday? That Jesus is alive, and everything has changed. There is hope, and there is joy, and there is peace. The Bible tells us that Jesus included all of us in his death so that we could all be included in his life. And when we come to celebrate Easter... We have to understand that there is what God has done for us, but you and I are also included in this story. That we have a part to play because there is a God who loves you and I so much that he sent his one and only son. Now here's what I've discovered. We live in a beautiful place, right? I mean, I love living here. I mean, Nashville, Franklin, Spring Hill, Brentwood, Middle Tennessee. We live in a beautiful place. It is a beautiful day. I mean, Chamber of Commerce Day. You know, I mean, it is just awesome. We are so blessed beyond measure. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that a lot of people carry three secrets with them. One, people are exhausted. I talk to people all the time, and people are just exhausted. They say, I'm worn out. I can't keep up with my life. I can't keep up with the schedule. There's so many demands on my life. I come home, and I just want to crash. I am exhausted. And maybe that's you today. The second thing we see is people are afraid. People are afraid. There's fear. You know, fear of losing my job, fear of the stock market crashing, fear of having enough for retirement, fear of being able to put my kids through college, fear, fear of failure. The third thing I see when I talk to people a lot is not only exhaustion and fear, but the third thing is a lot of people feel trapped. They'll say, Pastor Jeff, I just feel trapped. I feel, I feel trapped in a job that I, I didn't want to be in. I feel trapped in a career. I feel trapped in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I feel trapped in a marriage. I feel trapped in resentment. I feel trapped in guilt. I feel trapped in anger. Exhausted, afraid, feeling trapped. I'm so glad you're here today because you know what? The same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who has the power to overcome every challenge in our life. That Jesus is alive and that you too can come alive in him. And that power is available. And I'm excited about Easter Sunday morning. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. 
New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, as we unpack the Scriptures together. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the Scriptures online. You can go to YouVersion and take notes there with us or in your worship guide as well. And also, we'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along with what God's Word has to say. Let's see what happened. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 1, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, so we know that was Sunday, right? The Jews celebrate Sabbath or Shabbat on Saturday. So this is Easter Sunday morning, the first day of the week. The women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now we know from the other Gospels that when Jesus was buried in the tomb, there was a huge stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. And the Romans put their stamp on it, meaning if anybody moves this tomb, they will die. There were two Roman guards that were there. And so the women are walking to the tomb thinking, how are we going to roll the stone away? What are we going to do about the guards? And when they get there, the stone's rolled away, the guards are gone, and they went into the tomb. And they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. These angels showed up, right? And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Isn't that awesome? They're in a cemetery. And these angels are like, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen! Exclamation point. I love that there's exclamation points in the Bible. I mean, these angels are getting it. He has risen! Remember how he told you while he was still with you at Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Now the eleven were the disciples. There were twelve disciples. Judas betrayed Jesus, and so now it's just eleven. And to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus is in a resurrected body. We know that he appeared to over 500 people. These people are leaving Jerusalem. They're heading back to Emmaus. And Jesus walks along with them. They asked, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, the city, this is during the Passover, and the city of Jerusalem has swelled about 2.5 million people. And everybody knew about Jesus, right? I mean, this was happening. Historical documents. We know everybody knew about Jesus. Uh, What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He 
He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wow. Wouldn't you have wanted to be there for that? As Jesus just starts unpacking the word of God, as he starts walking through the Old Testament, he starts with Moses, he says, here's Christ in the Old Testament. Here's redemption, God's redemptive story. Here's what God was doing. And it's bigger than the Jews. It's for everybody. God is sending the Messiah who redeemed the sins of the world. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. What is that? It's like communion, right? Christ's body broken for us. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's Spirit moving and working inside of us. And maybe today, through a song that is sung and the Scripture is read, God's Spirit is moving and working in your heart. And that's not me or anybody else. That's God drawing you to Himself, inviting you into this relationship with Him. And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true! Right? Exclamation point. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Praise be to God. Just think about this. If, if God can raise Jesus to life, think about the power to overcome in your life. Think about what God can do in you today. There's four things I want you to see. First of all, I want you to see this. The power to overcome our doubt. The power to overcome our doubt. These two guys have been in Jerusalem. They have been following Jesus. They thought Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They thought Jesus would be the Messiah and in their minds a political savior who would overthrow the Romans and establish the Jews to the place of prominence. And when he was crucified on the cross, they, they lost, I mean, all hope. And they're walking and they're downcast and they're heading back home from being in Jerusalem and Jesus meets them in their doubt. I love that. Jesus doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't condemn them. Jesus just comes and walks alongside them. And maybe you're here today. And man, in your life, you just think, I don't know how I got here, you know? In my life, in my journey, in my story, and I look back and I thought I would be at a different place in life. I thought, you know, maybe in my life, you know, God had another plan or purpose. I wanted to be married or remarried. Or in my life, I wanted to have kids. Or in my life, I wanted a different career, a different job. And God, where are you? God, I thought you were going to do this. And God begins to open our eyes to the bigger picture. And God begins to say, listen, I love you, and I have an awesome plan for you. Will you trust me? These guys are downcast, and as Jesus begins to lift their chin and to give them a bigger picture of God's work in this world, of redemption, of hope, and of power, and may God do that in us. The Bible says that God is patient with us. So many times we think we come to God and God's just going to, you know, condemn us for all the things we've done. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God wants to open our eyes to what he wants to do in us. Now think back over your life. 
Think back of the way God's provided for you. Think back of the way God's taken care of you. Maybe there was a time when financially you didn't know how you were going to make it. Relationally, it just seemed like things were in disarray. And God has come through every single time. And it's not an accident that you are here today. Because God's saying, I have a plan for you. And I want to overcome that doubt. And I want you to see me for who I am. That I'm doing a greater work in your life than you could ever believe or ever imagine. Because I love you. The power to overcome our doubt. The power to overcome our past. The power to overcome our past. I mean, think about these guys, you know. Jesus is starting to go on further. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, come in and stay with us. What do you think if they would have just let Jesus go on? You know, the regret they would have had for the rest of their life. We missed it. How many times do we live in regret? How many times do we look back on our life and go, Oh, I wish I would have done this. Oh, I should have gone that way. Or I should have made this decision. So many times it's the past that rules over our lives. So many times the past just kind of defines us. But God is saying to you and to me, listen, I'm greater than your past. We've all made mistakes, haven't we? We've all blown it. We've all messed up. But praise be to a God who is bigger than all of that. A lot of times we just want to live in the past. But God doesn't call us to live in the past. God calls us to learn from the past, but then go forward into the future. To go forward into a new life, into a new way. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Don't you love that? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What God did at Easter changes you, changes me. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, I like to play golf. Uh, I don't get to play a whole lot, uh, but uh, I love to play. I don't know if any of you are golfers out there, but there's a great concept in golf, and it's called a mulligan. It's awesome, okay? Here's what a mulligan is. Like, you're on the first tee, and you hit a bad shot, like it hits off a tree, and it comes back and hits your buddy in the head, you know, and he drops, and you're like, oh, man. your, Your friends will throw you a ball, and they'll say, hey, take a mully, you know, take a mulligan. And you know what a mulligan is? You put it down, and it's like the shot never happened. It's the greatest thing. Now, there's still consequences. You may have lost the ball. Your buddy's bleeding. But, you know, but, but on the scorecard, it is a totally new shot. It doesn't count. You put it down, and you get to hit it over. It is a mulligan. And God says, I want you to have a mulligan. You need a mulligan today? Look back on your life, and you're like, oh, man, I just blew it. These mistakes and these sins and these decisions. And God says, Here's my son. The old is gone and the new has come. You can be a new creation in Christ. In Christ. Now keep going in that scripture. Because you go going and you go to verse 18. And it says this in 2 Corinthians. It says all this is from God. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All this is from God. What does that mean? That means that you and I can't earn it. That means that you and I didn't do anything to deserve it. All this is from God. Let me summarize the Bible for you real quick, okay? Let me just give you a quick Bible in a nutshell. God created man for a relationship with him. That's why you were created. If you ever wonder, why am I here? What on the earth am I here for? You know what you're here for? Is to have a relationship with God. God created you 
In fact, you wouldn't be here today if God didn't want you here today. God has given you breath in your lungs. God not only loves you, God likes you. He does. He likes you just the way you are. He made you and you're unique. There is not anybody else in the world who is exactly like you. God made you for a relationship with him. God made man, Adam and Eve, for a relationship with him. But what did Adam and Eve do? They sinned, right? They blew it. God said, don't do this. Don't eat this fruit. And they took and they did it. And we've been doing that. And now all of a sudden there's a problem. Holy God, sinful man. And we can't overcome this gap. There is a huge gap and we can't overcome it. Although we try. We try to be good enough. We try to do enough good things. And we think maybe God will accept me. But you know, every major world religion is about man trying to get to God. And Christianity is the only one about God coming to man. And God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as Jesus brings God and man together, he pays the price. He redeems us. And it is a gift of God. Now what about a gift? Somebody can offer you a gift and you can say, hey, no, thank you. That's okay. I'm moving on. I'm going to do things my way. I don't need it. A gift becomes yours when you receive it. And as God draws you to himself, God gives you this gift of life. New life in Christ. You keep going in that verse and it says this, that God has given us reconciliation through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, God has a purpose for your life. God says, I don't want you just to live the same way you lived before, where you thought it was all about money and how much money you had, how many possessions you had, and life was all about you. I want you to live a new life. Let me, let me just be blunt with you. If you live life for yourself, you're going to be miserable. It's not the way you were created to live. I've talked to hundreds of people. I mean, I have all these stories about people who thought it was about money, who thought it was about possessions, who thought it was about sex or relationships, and, and in their life, they're just empty. But when life makes sense is when you and I start to realize we've been blessed to be a blessing. And when you and I start to make a difference in the lives of others, and we use the gifts and the talents that we've been given, and we bless others, that's when we come alive. That's when joy enters into our life like we've never experienced before. It's awesome. That's why I love church. I love being a part of a body of believers who say, hey, it's not just about us. It's about us bringing glory to God. It's about us being part of something bigger than ourselves. Last Sunday morning, I, I came out to preach on Palm Sunday, and I stood here, and I looked down, and right on the third row, there were three former Moldovan orphans sitting there. Moldova, this smallest, poorest country in the former Soviet Union, right next to the Ukraine, as a church, we've been going there for 10 years. We work in 11 different orphanages. And we see God giving these precious orphan children a hope and a future. And I looked down and I just about started to cry. And I just thought, wow, thank you, God. And thank you, church. And God says, hey, I will redeem your past and I will give you a new future. And it's a future to impact others for my glory. Yes. We have purpose, we have meaning, we have life in Christ. The power to overcome our doubt. The power to overcome our past. And here's the third thing, the power to overcome our fear. Our fear. You just turn on the news, right? And you're like, whoa. You pull it up online and man, every story just creates this sense of angst within us. 
And we have this fear. And fear seems to rule our lives so many times. We try to perform. We try to meet people's expectations because we have this fear. A fear of losing our job. A fear of failure. A fear of, of losing money and, and not knowing how we'll survive. And yet we have a God who is bigger than all of that. The Bible says, For God did not give you a spirit of fear. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. That means that we don't have to live a life of fear. And whenever we are afraid, we just say, get behind me, Satan. God has given me a new life, a life of confidence in him. Now, we live in a fallen world. We do. And because of sin, we see it all the time. Hurt people, hurt people. I've known good people who've lost their jobs. I've known good parents who've struggled with kids. I've known good people who've gone through difficult times. We, we all see it. Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. God made a perfect world, but sin came. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Every August, we start brand new small groups. We have small groups that meet and meet in homes all over uh, the city and different nights of the week, and we share life together in small groups. We study the Word of God together, and we grow together and I'll never forget this, this past September on the first night of small group and the doorbell rang and, and I went and opened the door and there stood Brent and Megan Hendrickson and I, I love them and their four-year-old daughter Adeline, just precious, beautiful. I just found out a couple of days before that Megan was pregnant again and, and I looked at their faces and I could see something wasn't right. And they said, Jeff, can you step on the porch? And I stepped out and I closed the door behind me and Brent just looked at me and he said, we just left the doctor's office. He said, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I saw the worry and I saw the fear. They came inside and people laid their hands on them. We just prayed for them. We surrounded them and loved them. But I want you to hear their story today. My wife, Megan, and I have been attending Rolling Hills since November of 2012. I attribute a lot of my faith to my parents. Uh, they brought me up in the church to where the foundations of God and His love were deeply instilled in me. And as I grew older, realized that, that God had a plan for us. A little did I know the plan that He had for me was going to be cancer. Mm. In June, the end of June, beginning of July... We, we found a little mass. It was very small. And I talked with our doctor. And my urologist, he told me, Brent, you have a tumor in your testicle, and more than likely it's cancer. Let's get this thing out before it spreads. We had had our first surgery on September 13th, and we thought we were done. The pathology came back, and we were in need to have further treatment. We get over the second hurdle and we think that we're done then we continue to to go on and complications start to arise one thing after another I have to go back into the hospital from one of the complications we get through that and we start and they say you need to do chemo so we have all these things coming at us and you know being in the trenches and going through cancer being so focused on getting through one thing after another 
we didn't realize that Satan was beating us down. And he was trying to break us, and he was trying to get us to draw away from God. And, uh, you know, as, as, w- as we've known that God says when you go through trials, draw closer to me and I will take care of, care of you. I am your shepherd, I am your protector. You know, we have a choice as Christians with our free will on what we're going to do. We either draw closer to God or we push farther away. And through my support, through the foundation that was given to me by my parents, through the relationship that Megan and I have as husband and wife, in our relationship with God, we drew closer closer to Him. And it was hard. It was so hard. But God always took care of us. And He was always there. Over the past six months, uh, the first thing that I've learned is that we as Christians, we are all going to go through trials and that our trials are real. The second thing that I've learned is that Christ isn't just up in heaven. He's down here walking with us. He and His angels are down here protecting us as we go through these trials. And it's that that I'm grateful for. Did you hear that? I'm just thankful that Christ isn't just up in heaven. He's down here walking with us. He's down here walking with us. Life can change on a dime, and aren't you thankful for a God who stands with us in the good times, but also in the hard times? And a God who never gives up on us. A God who has a plan for you and a purpose for your life. And who is there for you. The power to overcome. The power to overcome our doubt, our past. The power to overcome our fear, but also the power to overcome death. The power to overcome death. Death, the big bully on the block. The death, the one that everybody's been scared of every generation that's ever lived. Death that seems like it has the final say. But it was Friday, and Jesus was on the cross. It was Saturday, and he was in the tomb. But today it's Sunday, and Jesus is alive, and Jesus has conquered death. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, exclamation point. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. If Jesus conquers death, you know what that means? That means that this life is just an introduction. That means that the best is yet to be. That means this life is just a prelude. That means that we'll see our loved ones again. That means that Christ has the final say. That God is sovereign over all that there is. That death has been defeated. I don't know if you like college basketball. I'm, I love college basketball and watching March Madness. And, and when I was watching college basketball this year, there was a player I was following named Adrian Payne. Adrian Payne played for Michigan State Spartans. And he's a big kid, 6'10". You know, he's a, he's a power forward, second in rebounding, second in scoring on the team. Adrian had a tough life growing up. 
His dad was in jail. His mom raised him and his grandmother, and they took him to church every week. And Adrian just listened. He knew Jesus. He had this love for Jesus in his heart and his life. At the age of 13, Adrian's mom had an asthma attack. She couldn't find her inhaler, and she ended up dying in his arms. His grandmother took over and raised him. Adrian was the first one to go to college in their whole family. Tom Izzo recruited him to Michigan State, and he came, and he started playing basketball. He was playing great. Well, last year, the whole Michigan State team went to visit a hospital, and they're walking through, and they're seeing the patients, and they walked in the room of a little eight-year-old girl named Lacey Hollinsworth. And Lacey had been fighting cancer. She had just come out of a chemo treatment. She had lost all of her hair. There was a little blonde wig laying next to her bed. Her mom and dad, who were strong believers, were in there, and they were talking and praying with Lacey. And and the team came in and said hi to her, and they were walking out, and Lacey said, Hey, you, stop. I like your smile. And Adrian, this big 6'10 guy, turned around and went and sat down next to her bed. And they exchanged phone numbers, and they started texting back and forth and encouraging one another throughout the whole basketball season, throughout all of her chemo. They put on Twitter, and they were following each other, and, and they put this up as she was fighting chemo one week, and Adrian Payne, who has a picture of his mom, says, I love you, adorable Lacey. I wish I could be there, so fight this chemo and be strong. And Princess Lacey responded, Adrian Payne, I love you too, Superman. I'll do my best. I wish you could be here too. She was able to get out of the hospital. She came to the to the Big Ten championship game. Michigan State won the game. Lacey climbed up on the ladder with the team and cut down the nets. She, the whole team rallied around her. She was there when they won the trophy. And this beautiful relationship and friendship. Two weeks ago, Lacey went home to be with Jesus. Her mom and dad posted this. They put, Princess Lacey has achieved the ultimate victory. She now dances among the angels. The world is a better place because you were in it. Adrian posted, my little princess is now an angel. Think about this. If it wasn't for Easter, where's the hope? But you know what? One day we're going to be dancing with Lacey. One day we're going to be on those streets of gold dancing with Lacey and with Adrian and with all the people who've gone before us because Jesus conquered death and death is not the end of the story. There is more to come. There is a resurrection and there is a life. It's available for you and available for me. The power to overcome. And it's found in Christ. It's found in Jesus You see, if God could raise a dead Jesus, you know what that means? He can raise a dead spirit in you. He can raise a dead marriage. He can raise a dead career. He can raise a dead dream. God is alive and the power to overcome is available through Christ, God's Son. It's a gift. You've got to receive it. Where are you today? Where are you today? Because there is a God who is drawing you to his heart. There is a God who is saying, I love you and I have a purpose for your life. And it begins in Christ. Today, will you say yes to him? Today, would you say, I want Jesus in my life? 
Maybe for you, you've been on the sidelines spiritually. Man, your life has been about making money or having possessions or stuff. And today, God's saying, there is more to your life. And maybe today you watch these baptisms and you're saying, it's time. It's time for me to get serious and to follow Jesus. It's time. I don't know where you are today, but I know this. God is here. And God is here not just for us. God is here for you. Because Easter includes you. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And right where you sit, would you be honest with God? Right where you sit. Maybe today is a day of salvation for you. You just say, God, I need you in my life. I've been trying to do this life on my own. Life's been all about me. But today, I want Christ to come into my heart. I want to be a new creation. Forgive me, God, for my sins, my past. And make me new. Make me new. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, as the boss of my life. Thank you, God. Maybe today you just need to pray, God, I want to be the man you created me to be. I want to be a godly husband or father. I want to be the woman you created me to be, the godly wife or mother. I want to live my life for you, God. I don't want to live in this bondage of fear or guilt or resentment. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. Father God, we thank you for the power to overcome. You are greater than anything we face in our life. And you prove it at Easter. Thank you for today, for a risen Savior. Thank you, Father, that this life is not all that there is, that there is more to come. And we will spend eternity with you. But for now, oh God, for now, find us faithful. For now, Father, find us people who long to have a deep, abiding relationship with Christ. Because that's where hope and that's where there's life. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.